Thank you for joining us for the start of the Teacher Servant King message series. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has to say to us today, and please give a warm welcome to Dr. Derry Long. We're beginning a series about Jesus Christ, Jesus' as teacher, Jesus' as servant, Jesus' as king, and that'll lead us into the Christmas season. And uh, this morning is the first, and it's Jesus' as teacher. Teaching is a topic from Genesis to Revelation in the Scriptures. It's all over the Old Testament. The Jewish culture was, was steeped in the value of teaching. The word rabbi means teacher. When you look at the first five books of the Bible, which were written by Moses, uh, those books are called the book of the law, but they actually mean uh, the instruction of God is given through Moses. And so it's a, the first five books were a teaching vehicle. You follow that all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, where teaching is even given the status of a spiritual gift, which means that it is a resource the church of God needs in order to accomplish its purposes. So all all over the scripture is the model of teaching, and we find it that way in the life of Christ as well. We're going to look at, uh, begin with a scripture that comes out of the end of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And at the end of that sermon, here was the response. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. We want to look at three aspects about teaching. Number one, what does the emphasis of teaching in the Bible tell us about us? And whatever else it tells us, it tells us that we're slow learners. But we come to slow learning by, not by accident, but honestly. We live in a fallen world, and we're fallen people. And so Paul tells us in Corinthians, we see through a glass darkly. Even on the best of days, it sometimes feels like we're, we're wearing heavy boots and we're slogging through mud. That isn't like there's something wrong with us. It is like that's the kind of world we are in. We're often trying to go upstream in a downstream world. And in that kind of setting, it's slow for, it's difficult for us to learn. And it's even more difficult for us to hold on to what we've learned. And so in this kind of world, the constant emphasis on teaching and repetition is God's emphasis to us that we need to live in his truth so that we can not only learn it, but sustain it in our lives. The Lord did not come to this earth just to save me and get me from here to heaven. It's very clear from the teaching of scripture, he has a lot of other things in mind for you and in store for you as we live out our lives. We find this this emphasis on teaching and the need for repetition even in the lives of some of the Lord's greatest servants, who the Lord knew could not grasp the things he was trying to say to them unless he said it dramatically. So for example, he comes to Peter. Peter was a Jew. The Jewish people had been told they were special people. And so when Jesus came, they felt that the gospel, the Messiah, was for them. And now Jesus wants to give them the message that the gospel is for everyone. And so scripture tells us the Lord didn't come just in a still small voice, but he gave Peter a vision 
a dramatic vision. Now, why would he do that? Because he knew that Peter's tendency to hold on to the familiar was so strong that he could not grasp that the gospel was now to be opened up for everyone. That the gospel wasn't just for the Jews anymore. The gospel was for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the Norwegian. The gospel was for everybody. And, And the Lord was trying to open that up and he knew that he had to be dramatic in order to do it. He did the same thing with Moses. Moses had in his own DNA to be a deliverer. He tried it in Egypt and failed, and now he's out in the wilderness. And it is God's purpose to bring him back to Egypt to deliver his people. And in order to get that message through, he comes in a burning bush. A burning bush. Because he knew the tendency of Moses would be, I am not adequate. Because I've already been to Egypt, and I already tried, and I made a mess. Don't ask me to go back to Egypt. He does the same thing in Gideon's life. He wants Gideon, with a few hundred men, to go up against the warlike Midianites who had over 100,000 soldiers. And he knew that Gideon would not grasp it. And so he sends Gideon an angel that consumes a meal in front of him, in order to convince him that this is God speaking to him. Now those three all have one thing in common. The Lord repetitively came to them in order to change the narrative they were living with. Well, what does that mean? Peter lived with a narrative. And that narrative was... That Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah was for the Jews, and they needed to evangelize the Jews. And God wanted to break that narrative and enlarge it. Moses lived with a narrative, and his narrative was, I have failed. And why would I want to go back and try to succeed in the very place I had failed at? And Gideon's narrative, the Bible says, is, I am weak. I do not have the strength to do this thing that the Lord is suggesting I do. And all of us have come in here with a narrative. Some some of our narratives have been touched by the Lord, but many of us have very negative narratives. Narratives that will will never amount to anything. Narratives that we will never overcome a catastrophic decision we once made in our life. Narratives of guilt, of inadequacy. The Lord comes to us not just once, but the scripture shows us repetitively because he is trying to break down an old narrative and bring to us a new narrative. Now we often tend to spiritualize change in our life. But the fact is that when you and I repetitively believe, think, or act a certain way, it does not just affect our spirit. Neurology tells us that it actually creates physiological ruts in our brain. And the more we repeat a particular way of thinking or behaving, the deeper the ruts get. And you and I, reading some self-help book, 
at home all isolated by ourselves because we don't want to tell anybody else our narrative does not usually break us out of that kind of narrative. God wants to break down the edges of that rut so the tire doesn't just drop down in it all the time. And he wants to renew our mind and put in there a new rut that reflects his view of reality and his view of you. And that happens only by constant repetition. It doesn't happen by just a Sunday morning fix or an isolated thought. Scripture says, for example, do not put new wine into old wineskins. We often will show up on a Sunday, hear a new thing or a fresh thing we know should be ours, but we stick it back into the ruts that we have and wonder why it doesn't have any power. How come that doesn't change me? It's because we're living with old wineskins. Now, I like old wineskins as much as you do. I'm German and Norwegian, and I'm 65, and the older the wineskin, the more familiar it is. And the more familiar it is, the more I can navigate it and control it. And the Lord says, don't put new wine in old wineskins, which is one of the reasons why the New Testament is not systematized. When you read systematization of the scriptures, it's not wrong, but it's human. The system is human. I have yet to find a system that can hold all of how God functions. It can't be done because there's too many contradictions in the way God works. And so God wants to break down in me the old wineskins in order to put new things in. And how does he do that? By asking me to keep my heart open to his word. Now you may do it different ways. I'll show you one of the ways I do it. I try to keep inviting people into my life that are going to break down those wineskins. Like one of my friends is a guy named Tim Rail. Tim Rail has said for years that I'm one of his heroes. Except he has far surpassed me now in his understanding of the ways of the Lord. So we, we talked recently and we're talking about doing a mission trip together where we teach together. But I have my own secret motive and it is to hang around Tim Rail because he has things to teach me. Now I would say that he's younger than me but now almost everybody's younger than me so that's a moot statement. And in a few months, I'm going to be with a guy who experienced catastrophic moral failure in his life. And I'm looking forward to that time because he has things to teach me about the mercy of God. He doesn't think he has anything to teach me, but I know he does. Because nobody could walk the path that he walked and come to the place he is without understanding something about the mercy of God. And so I am intentionally putting myself in his road so I can learn from him. Now you may have heard through some focus groups we've had around here that we're kicking around the idea of an Eastern and East Bozeman campus. And there are some people already meeting around that, and some of them are young. And though I haven't told them that, 
I, I want to be part of that group because, because there are things that I want to learn from Nels and Cameron. Like, they, they may even know who the 10 top rock stars are today. And I'm still at the Beatles. So, like, I, I got to catch up. And I'll only catch up with Hank. Now, they, they may be half my age. I, I, I told somebody I thought Cameron was half, half my age, and they said, well, probably Nels and Cameron together are half your age. <laughs> so, so I had to do a little homework between services. <laughs> so you, you can break down the old wineskins if you want to. You just have to be intentional about it and non-protective about the way they were. Wineskins come to us very easily. It's no different than like church music. You know, there was a time when churches, all churches sang were the Psalms. I mean, the actual scripture. How could Newton, writing amazing grace in the words of people, be superior to scripture? Naturally, we should just sing the Psalms and not amazing grace. You see the logic? Except God uses new wineskins to hold new wine. And so when we think of teaching, we think of the repetitive effort of God not just to get us to heaven, but to help us change the narrative of our life on earth. That leads us to number two. Why does the New Testament emphasis on teaching what does it say about the purposes of Christ? Here's what it says about the purposes of Christ. Christ is not here just to save me. Hans Kung in his book, The Church, writes, there are two great purposes beyond immediate personal salvation here on earth. One is that you and I model the kingdom of God. Now, kingdom is a dominion over which there is a ruler. And God wants to be able to say, if you know what it's like to live under my dominion, here, go look at this person. See how they live? They live in a way that models what it's like to live in my world. To model and to enlarge, to invite other people into that dominion, into that kingdom. So God's about bringing you from death to life and then inviting you to join him in the redemption of the world by modeling and inviting other people into the kingdom of God. Because he wants his truth to be transferable. The narrative he wants to create in your life, he wants to make transferable into the life of others. See, you, nothing you learn redemptively does God intend for you to learn just for yourself? He wants you to learn it because someone here needs to hear it. Because it becomes an image, a picture, a way of how God can work in their life as well. And so you are learning for yourself, but you are learning for others as well. Now, I like Bible survey, which is just surveying the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. One of the things about Bible survey is there's three levels of learning Scripture. 
One is the big story. That's the, as you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you catch the big story of the redemptive purpose of God. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through the life of Abraham, where God's going to create a new nation, and then Jesus who comes, who's the son of David, all the way to his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his return. That's the big story. The Lord wants you to live in that big story. But he also wants you to live in the specific information of Scripture. That's a small picture of what's going on. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, Why does your marriage matter? Your marriage does not matter just so that you can have kids and you can be happy. The Bible says your marriage matters because he intends it to be an illustration of the love of Christ to this world. And so when you follow the theme of Scripture, you follow a theme that is nuptial. God brings Adam and Eve together. The first miracle Jesus performs, he performs at a wedding Cana of Galilee. Paul says, the love that, the love that a man should have for his woman is a mirror of the love of Christ for the church. And you go all the way to Revelation, and it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So why do we why are we trying to have missional communities? Not because we got another great idea. Like, I don't need another great idea. I'm like 340 great ideas behind already. We try to have missional communities because missional communities is bringing family life together to extend to a broken world. It fits the theology of the scripture. Let me give you another one. So we got the big picture, end to end, the redemption of Christ, Then we got all these snapshots. Here's another one. I believe that generally the people you are drawn to in Scripture have a DNA, usually, that fits God's DNA for you. So here's how that looks in my life. I'm drawn to four primary personalities in Scripture. I've been drawn to that all my life until one day I started looking at them. One is Moses. The second's Elijah, the third is Gideon, and the fourth is Peter. Now you start looking at what they have in common, and they all have one thing in common. They were trying to invite a people out into a new thing. So for example, this is the third church plant I've been involved in in my life. And this thing about East, East Bozeman is tantalizing to me. It's this inviting into a new thing. Which reminds me that the difficulty of that is sometimes people don't want to go as you invite them. You know that old joke about the uh, Boy Scout troop that got together and and they (laughs) 
I love this. The whole Boy Scout troop got together and said, all right, now tonight we're not going to meet. I want all of you go out, the scoutmaster says, and do a good deed and come back in an hour and share what you did. So they all went out and they came back in an hour. They were going around the room and Billy here was just all beat up. He had his, he had his scout uniform ripped and he had, a, he had a scratch on his cheek and he was limping and they got to Billy. He says, well, Billy, what did you do? He says, well, I helped an old lady across the street. He says, well, what happened? She says, she didn't want to go. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Gideon brought the, brought the children of Israel out of oppression into victory over the Midianites. Elijah was inviting the children of Israel out of the paganism of Ahab and Jezebel. And Peter was inviting the Israelites into the new sunshine of the gospel for the Israelites and the Gentiles. And, and you're drawn to certain people in Scripture. And you have a spiritual DNA as well. So what's the New Testament emphasis on the teaching? It has to do with establishing, modeling, and enlarging the kingdom of God. Let's look at the last one. What does the New Testament emphasis on teaching say about Christ himself? The first we looked at was the narrative. The scripture is repetitive because it wants to help us change the narrative of our life. The second is transferability. Christ was about the transferability of the narrative, redemptive narrative in our life. So then in Matthew 28, it says, Now go out, take the gospel everywhere, teaching all people. And what's our last? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 4, 23, Jesus traveled and everywhere he went, he taught and he healed. Luke 4 14 says, and Jesus taught regularly in the synagogues. And then we come to the scripture we just read, which was at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this three-chapter sermon in which Jesus was preaching and teaching to thousands of people in this one state, place. It said he, he taught different. How did he teach different? Well, the, the Jewish people were accustomed to teaching, which said, all right, this rabbi said this, this rabbi said this, this rabbi said this, this rabbi said this, therefore. Jesus, in effect, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The difference, they said, is he taught with authority. He taught with authority. The Sermon on the Mount is about the things that Jesus talked about becoming real in your life and mine because it's promised on the authority of the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so now you see the progression. The narrative that he changes in our life. The transferability of that narrative that brings life to others and the authority of that transferability based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and a risen Lord. 
Jesus was so committed to this that he used every model of teaching, classroom, mentoring, and tech school to teach the people and to teach the disciples this authority upon which we act. He's saying this actually can happen. This can happen because I am Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And I lay my life down. Nobody takes it from me. I lay my life down and I pick it back up again. And I return to the Father and I sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And if I sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, I will come again for you. And upon that authority, he says, you can change the narrative of your life and you can transfer that narrative giving life to those around you. That's why teaching matters. I was just in Turkey a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, and uh, I was struck again by the power of a passport to get into Germany, to get into Turkey, to get back out of Turkey, back into Germany, into England, back in the United States, and all I gotta do is show them this piece of paper that has the right kind of endorsement that tells me and anyone who sees me, this is who I am. And the authority of Christ is kind of like a passport. Is this stuff I talk about in the Sermon on the Mount? This stuff I talk about from Genesis to Revelation, I intend for this to be yours. Not because you're perfect or because your narrative is undamaged, but because my work is complete. And so Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And I think that's God's word for us today. How would we end up our lives as we end up this year? We could end it up by saying, I want to be a lifelong learner. If teaching is from the beginning to the end of Scripture, then I want to address the old wineskins. And I want to address the narratives that are damaged. And I want to be a lifelong learner, which means I have to be lifelong, a teachable person. Let's bow our heads and set our stuff aside as we finish. And I think God's question for us this morning is, are you living with a narrative that haunts you, that nags at you, that drags you, slows you down, brings weight instead of a lift might be a narrative of constraint of failure of guilt of remorse and regret uncertainty or fear and that narrative becomes so often the dominant note in the song of your life. Not the only note, but the dominant note.
this morning God's invitation to you is all this teaching isn't just about getting you from here to heaven. It's about bringing the kingdom to your life and changing the narrative. And you won't change the narrative just because you raise your hand this morning, but you establish a partnership with the authority of Jesus Christ in this material world. Right where you're seated, you can say, Lord, I am tired of this narrative being so dominant in my life. I want to break down these old ruts. I want to restore my mind with new ruts, redemptive paths. So, Lord, I'm opening my life up to the scripture, to teaching, to other people. Show me the first step to take. As a witness to the grace and the authority of Jesus Christ, I ask you, Lord, help me now begin the process of changing the narrative that runs ceaselessly inside. You could pray something like that right now. We're just going to wait for a little bit as you do. Lord, the Bible tells us that we have an adversary, the devil. That adversary constantly whispers the negative narrative into our life. Lord, we want to be able to shut that door and open the door to the redemptive kingdom purposes of Christ. For all these who slipped their hands up this morning, I pray that you will in some very tangible way affirm the decision they're making and make it clear what a next step could be into a new place of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.